Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer, Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the Digital Workspace inner workings. Hey Ryan, how's it going? Frustrating, frustrating. So I, I am still struggling with my camera. There we go, I got it working slightly. And now I can't get my microphone to work. So I've built a new laptop using Ubuntu, Kubuntu, which I've managed to get Teams onto. Mm-hmm. Once I can solve OneDrive, which is not essential, but I just like to synchronize things locally. Um, and find a good email client, I think I'll start switching over. Yeah. So it's nice. Everything's quick. Only thing I lose is my fingerprint recognition. So you can't log in with your fingerprint. You mm. can see the camera's frozen again. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to try this with the, with the Linux. Well, it, it makes a difference. Teams only recently, I don't know how long ago, but it is definitely recent, has, has issued a Linux client. And that's, that's like, if I look at my, my essentials, I need Teams, mm-hmm. a laptop. Uh, I'm going to try LibreOffice for everything else. I mean, worst case to worst, I'll just work off my iPad. But um, I'm definitely feeling that the, the Kubuntu distribution is a lot more stable than Windows 10. Mm-hmm. So what's the main, what are you giving, what's, what are you giving up with that move? Is it mostly just, you know, software and hardware compatibility is, you know, less than Windows? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's the biggest issue at the moment. So mm-hmm. my frustration is what, when I think the performance of Windows 10 is, is, is definitely slower and slower daily. Um, I notice things like when I try to open my calendar in Outlook, it takes a good couple of seconds, if not a minute to, to load the, the calendar. Mm. Um, as I said, I've had these hardware issues. Um, so what I've, what I've noticed in comparison is that the, the Linux version boots a lot quicker, but maybe because it's a new machine, but it, it definitely doesn't have any of the lag. Okay, fair, I haven't got you know an Outlook equivalent running yet, so I'll have to see how that works. Um, but it is, it's about the apps. What apps do you need that, that's Windows only? Um, if I look at what I use, I use Slack, I use Teams, I use the Office products. So those all have Linux equivalents. Um, the things that I'll need to figure out will be sort of dev tools like SQL um, and Visual Studio, but I think that those now exist. So these are, this, this will be a journey. I'll run them in parallel to begin with, and then as I find something, I'll, I'll move that over. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I wish my next step if this doesn't work is to go to to go to an Apple laptop, some sort of Apple. Mm-hmm. But I think my journey with Windows 10, unless I'm forced to use it, I think it's it's at the end. Mm. So yeah, you heard it first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of struggles. Yeah, I saw. I haven't read it yet, but there was a one of those IT news sites. I don't remember, but an article about how. IT admins want the updates to go down to one a year. I don't know if you've ever had like what your feeling is about the sort of Windows as a service, evergreen IT, frequent patching. Um, if that's ever caused you headaches from it, like it a, IT, yeah, it, 
It does, and, and you know, last year was a lot better. This year's got them worse, much worse. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's the, the there's too much variety of hardware to be supported for Windows to be um, rolled out as quickly as they want it to be. Mm-hmm. And I think the only route this is going to work, and that's maybe why WVD is so top of mind for everyone, is that that is a controlled environment where you can roll it out, you know, weekly, monthly, whatever, because it's because it's, it's known entities. And I would agree. I, mean, I think if you are if you've got a real estate of a couple hundred to a couple thousand laptops or, or physical workstations, you don't want to keep patching these things with major updates as regularly as Microsoft's pushed them out at the moment because it creates a lot of overhead and, and for very little value. I mean, the, the stupidity of, of this 2004 release, it didn't work with any drive that was encrypted. So the minute you had a BitLocker or, or uh, whatever thing on top of it, you had to basically decrypt the drive to run the install. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the point? Yeah. Miles of mm-hmm. format the device. So, yeah. So I think I think that's the route it's going to go. I think it's going to end up with the Microsoft's going to have to listen to their customers and, and go to once a year, back to what it was really. In fact, mm-hmm. it's better than you know. I think you look at OS as they're probably released on, a, on every two year basis, and then WVD will become your rapid rapid iteration environment. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, it's come over a few times. I mean, there's there's another podcast I listen to Windows Weekly. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they sort of make the same sort of rumblings that, that there's definitely a lot of pain being experienced. Um, and it seems like the only the only solution is WBD for this. That's interesting. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying critical updates shouldn't happen. And I'm not saying, you know, security patches. Security patches, yeah. But I am saying functionality changes like they're doing them right now. It's not, I mean, I, I lost a whole week last week because I'm, I'm still nursing this laptop through the week um mm. but if i try and do a face-to-face call with anybody it's what you see now a frozen face it's frustrating yeah definitely especially in the you know when your remote workspace is your whole workspace so you know the only face-to-face you're going to get with anybody is through your laptop camera so yeah and i know i know i know i'm bitching a bit but you know when you set up your whole workspace to be driven from the single laptop and the, and the laptop is your single failure point because it's running windows mm-hmm. and windows has gone less and less stable it does frustrate you because now you've got to like you don't really know move your works it's like it's like moving your desk you know it's full of stuff all the drawers are full of stuff mm-hmm. and, and you know going to a new desk means you're going to clean out all those drawers um, which is a good exercise. You should do more often, but but you don't want. It's an ominous. It's like oh, no, it's so much effort, so much work. Mm-hmm. I've got enough to do in my life. Let alone do that as well. So and that's where I am now. So that's why I've installed this new laptop. Um, I'm slowly moving stuff across that needs to be moved across, um, and that's why I'm relying a little bit on OneDrive because I'm putting it all into OneDrive and then hoping it synchronizes across. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's not as big a deal. I mean, the, the beauty of, of some of the setups, I, I, I rely quite heavily on LastPass for my password management. Mm-hmm. And it sets me up quite easily on everything else. But it is, it is, uh, it's, still a, it's still a hack to do it. Yeah. So the only thing I wanted to talk to you about was, was the book I just finished reading called Masters of Doom. Masters of Doom? Master, yeah, Masters of Doom. You know, the, okay. the, remember the game Doom? Yes, I don't know much about it, but yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a generational thing. Um, so when I was growing up, 
So this would have been the 80s and 90s. Doom was the the big thing. And I really got into gaming to an extent when, when Quake 3 came out. I mean, I played Doom and I played Wolfenstein and I played um, Duke Nukem when they came out, you know, South Africa, which was a little bit behind everywhere else in the world. But but these were, you know, you needed to have a, you know, a 486 processor with a graphics card to play Quake. And, you know, back in the day when all that stuff was, you know, very resource intensive, I mean, you could probably run most of these games on a, on a Raspberry Pi now. Um, but it was quite fascinating to read how these guys started off. I mean, they really developed, uh, it was two Johns, John Carmack and John Romero. Um, they really built these games when, when there was nothing around, like there was no graphics engines. It was, they were using 16 bit color and they moved to two, 206 colors. And now, you know, now we're in millions and millions of colors, but you know, how they figured out shading and, and light point of view lights. And I was thinking how that led up into, you know, virtual reality and, and augmented reality. Um, cause that's, you know, this is the precursor games have been the precursor that have almost been like the formula one is for motor cars. Games lead the way in generating com- compute so that you can do things. And that feeds back into normal work com- compute. I mean, you buy a big gaming machine so that you can play games, but it benefits you also cause you can write code and you can, you can work effectively with your, your knowledge work and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's just it's just a story of what it took for them to build the game. So, so it's not just I guess. So, so they, I mean, this is this is follows them over probably a twenty year um, journey. So, mm-hmm. how did they start off being? You know, what they were like as kids. Um, so, John Carmack is a very like um, I would say he's a Steve Wozniak type character, very techie, very, very open source, share everything, that kind of person. And then Romero, I wouldn't just say he's a Steve Jobs like, cause he's a bit more mental than that. Um, but, but he's the visionary. He's, he's the, 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 the perfect, um, yin and yang to each other in the sense that Carmichael can deliver the Carmichael can deliver these things, um, technically and Romero can keep changing the game and, and, and pushing him to, to test his uh, or drive better technical solutions, um, and then basically go from from Doom, how they were a bunch of bunch of kids in a house, and they were basically ate, ate a lot of pizza, drank, drank a lot of diet coke, and worked all hours to deliver this stuff, mm-hmm. um, and how they sort of navigated making, um, you know, moving across the U.S. from one city to another to to establish themselves by by partnering. So they end up with using shareware to deliver the product. I mean, this was, you know, in those days it was still about, you know, using floppy disks and, and mailing them out using Ziploc bags and, and, and that sort of stuff mm-hmm. to then be you know, releasing Doom via a university labs connection to the world. So you could download Doom. Um, and then how they, how they basically split from each other because they had different visions. You know, Romero wanted to be this, build an empire and Carmack wanted to build better games, but keep it, keep it tight and share the technology and all that kind of stuff and how they basically went their different ways. Um, and then came back together and it just tells you all the politics and all the rest of it. Um, but what I find interesting from it, from my point of view is you had sort of these two schools of thought where one was keep the team small and, and structured 
to deliver on a vision and you had no one really just throwing resources and money with no vision and just expecting magic to happen mm. and and the sort of delays and there's these big events where where they rock up and and Carmack's engine with his game looks great and Romero because they've, they've split off now is trying to show his thing that he's hyped up and he's thrown millions of you know, in the sense of 80, 90 people working on all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing, it's, it's like this anticlimactic demo that hardly works. Um, and, it, and it's how they, you know, it's just the story is really well told. Um, but it is how you can see some projects will fail because you're throwing more resources at the wrong time. Um, or you're trying to think about having lots of resources and magically have, have a product and you don't. You know, it's, it's a constantly about prioritization and um keeping keeping focus and, and all that kind of stuff and and you see it often where projects take on too much or there's too too many different agendas um and they fail to deliver mm. have you seen the show silicon valley i started watching but i never got into it okay just sounds like uh something that would happen on the show very very possible very possible yeah. Another little bit of interesting trivia on this one. I actually think I've got a, re- a relative that's mentioned in the book. Oh. Yeah, so I can't, I'm not going to mention who it is yet, but we chat, we're chatting on LinkedIn. We're trying to figure it out. Mm. Our Russian heritage. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So that's a, that's a good book that I've just finished, and then I'm rereading The Goal at the moment, which is also quite a good book for um, product delivery. Mm. I'm not sure if you've ever read it. Mm-mm. But also, also story for story for although it's a fictional story this time, um, where it tells the story of a story of a of a factory owner and how he his factory is under pressure to you know if it doesn't sort things out in three months it'll be closed down, and he's got this crazy physicist mentor, who basically helps him see the the real problems and solve them, and it's and it's basically it's, he's trying to teach the law of constraints. You can only deliver how much you've got, you know, based on what you've got, and you need to figure out where your bottlenecks are, and then correctly organize your priorities based on what your bottlenecks can cover, um, and then deliver, you know, what your what your what your priority needs are. So your customers, within the case of the factory, the orders that are the the, the oldest that need to be dealt with, um, mm-hmm. to the to the youngest, um, but then also based on. Uh, what's what skills and resources you have? So very much a product delivery book. Mm-hmm. Is it uh, more in the you know illustrate illustrate the theory than like tactical side? Um, it's a bit of both. It's you know the, the theories. It's actually funny you say because I was reading again reading something this morning. I said I just wish they'd give me just the theory and not give me the whole story because I've read the book before now. So this is my second or third time reading it. Um, he tries to articulate the, the story or the theory through the story. So, uh, for example, this thing about sequencing, um, the main character, Al, takes his son on a, on a scout hiking trip for the weekend, and he's got all the kids walking in line. But because of the way that the kids are ordered, the fastest kids are, are way ahead and the slowest kids are way at the back, and there's a big gap between everybody. And he has to realize that, through this whole process that he needs to put the slowest kid at the front, which means that no one can walk faster than the slowest resource. Mm-hmm. So no one, I think he'd finish, you know, faster than the slowest component that has to be built. Um, you know, so, so that's how you sort of articulate the theory or, or whatever. 
um, which is quite a nice way to do it to, to, to articulate. But, but being a factory is a very different, like I'm struggling at the moment to try and map that back to, to building software. Mm. And, that, and, and that's what I am using. I think someone did mention to me there's a cartoon or a comic version of it where it's actually delivered, it's how you deliver software using this law of constraint. I need to find it. Um, so that's kind of where I am now. Mm-hmm. Just a shortcut. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the story is good for color, but, but I'm, I'm, wanna, I want to I wanna apply it at the moment. So I need, I need the shortcut, yeah, the, the bridge version. Yeah. Um, I've just put a link into the Slack thing, which is a, it, it's a, it came out today on the um, the Guardian newspaper. It's a survey that was done uh, for the UK, and just saying that basically most it's changed everything for good. Basically, most office workers don't tend to go back to five days a week in the workplace when this COVID thing is over. Not that I think it'll ever be over, to be honest. But hey, um, but it kind of you know confirms what we've been saying for, for a good month or three that uh, it'll move to a two to three days break, you know, mm-hmm. depending on who you are, where you are. So that's quite interesting. Um, and I think it points out the generational differences. You know, young employees will see it differently to older employees because they, you know, the younger ones are still trying to build their relationships and, and have more uh, ambition. Um, and they also don't have the facilities at home to work from home. Um, whereas an older generation will probably have already got the networks, has already got a good setup at home and they can work from home a lot easier. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think home, home ownership and the comfort of working from home probably go hand in hand a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I need to, need to jump off. Good to catch right. up. Cool. I'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.